Hello and welcome to National League Town, Mets fandom, Mets history, Mets life, with Long Island's own Greg Prince and Jeff Heisen. Hey, Greg. Greetings from the Copa, the Copa Cabana, the hottest spot north of Havana, or so it feels where we are recording today. It's a warm summer afternoon on Long Island, well north of Havana. Greetings to you. Greetings to our listeners. I won't say don't fall in love because we've already fallen in love with the Mets. On today's show, we review the Yankees series and talk about more Greg Fan Commandments. But first, we're recording this during the All-Star break, as we are taking a week off from the arduous task of talking about the Mets for an hour each week. But we didn't want you to be without our company. So again, we've recorded this episode a week ago. Jeff, you're being too humble, because even though you're making it sound as if we just wanted to take some time off, we know that you're spending the week in close discussions with the commissioner, Rob Manfred, who heard all of your suggestions for the All-Star Game. And it, it didn't help that a certain news network kind of misinterpreted one of your complaints about Joe Mantiply taking Edwin Diaz's inning, because they did a whole thing on Arizona Diamondback relievers are coming north to take all-star innings from your closer. How close are they coming? But then Rob Manfred felt the pressure. The good news in all of this is that he's meeting with you, and we're going to see if any of your ideas go into action. But like you said, the Yankees and the Mets, did I just say the Yankees and the Mets? Excuse me. The Mets and the Yankees did play a two-game series, unless it rained, in which case, ignore everything we say. The Mets and the Yankees played a two-game series, and we didn't want to leave you hanging without that trademark National League Town analysis. <laughs> so what we're going to do here is review all the possibilities of what could have happened in a two-game series, and we will react accordingly. Obviously, what we wanted to have happened was the Mets swept two games from the Yankees. We are so delighted. We own this town because it's a National League town. Never mind what the records are. The record that counts is that we went 2-0 in this series. The Mets outpitched the Yankees. The Mets outhit the Yankees. They outhustled the Yankees. Obviously, Buck Showalter outmanaged Aaron Boone. And really, the only downside of this entire two-game series is that there were too many Yankee fans at City Field. What are you going to do? But hey, we took two nationally town listeners. Let's revel in that. Now, maybe that didn't happen. Maybe what happened was we split with the Yankees. It's not as good as sweeping, but we're prepared for that. So, play two games with the Yankees. We won one. They won one. They're a very good team. We admit that. We don't like them, but they're a very good team. We're a very good team, too. We went toe-to-toe with another first-place team and 500. We didn't lose the series. That's what the season's been built on. Winning series, tying series, hardly ever losing a series. The pitching was comparable. The hitting was comparable. The base running was comparable. The bench was involved. The managing, listen, Buck Showalter, he knows what he's doing. Great crowds. The only problem, quite frankly, too many Yankee fans at City Field. What are you going to do? We move on. We have other teams to play in the National League. Let's not worry about that. Okay, now just in case, we don't even want to admit that this might have happened, but it might have happened. We just lost two games to the Yankees. Is it the end of the world? No. Is the world a darker place because of it? Absolutely. But it's only two games. Our pitching wasn't quite there. Our hitting wasn't quite there. The base running could use some help. And thank goodness the trade deadline is around the corner. And not even Buck Showalter could save us this time around. And really, the one image I'm going to take out of this is that there were so many freaking Yankee fans at City Field. 
if there was just a way to keep them out of there, this might have been tolerable, but we're going to put that behind us, see them again, who knows? Maybe we'll see them in October, but let's not look ahead too far. So there you have it. That's our Subway Series wrap-up, our incisive National League Town analysis of the Met-Yankees series. We went into the future. We saw it. We came back to a week ago recording this episode in advance because Jeff is in very close communications with the commissioner of baseball trying to fix All-Star Week. We just didn't want you to think that we're not on top of everything whenever it takes place. Even though the Yankees series hasn't happened yet, I can guarantee that ESPN's exclusive coverage of Wednesday night's game pissed off Mets fans, and rightly so. No doubt, the absence of GKNR in favor of the ESPN baseball talk show lit up Mets Twitter about how bad their coverage is. That definitely happened. You know, if you can't have GKR, I would prefer to have GNR, little Guns N' Roses, playing blasting rather than having to listen to ESPN commentary of a Mets game. I don't care who they're playing. And you're right. It was a disgrace that hasn't happened yet, but I mean, it already happened. God, I can't wait to get back to SNY. These two games plus the two games that will happen in August are thrust upon us as if we want them. I don't think Mets fans really want them. I don't think Yankees fans absorb it in their own way and really want them either. But baseball thinks we want them, so we get them. I don't think we'll have as many next year with the new scheduling. It's just not something that is appealing to me anymore. You? This is National League Town. We play National League teams. That's how we got here. Then they invented interleague baseball, and it might have been an intriguing gimmick for a few years. And, yeah, the bus stop arguments of my youth came to life, except we weren't talking about Jerry Grody versus Thurman Munson. We were seeing in real life Todd Hunley versus Joe Girardi, which became Mike Piazza versus Jorge Posada and all that followed. And they could have stopped after a couple of years, as far as I was concerned, if they had to start it at all. I'm with you. We, we've gone over the fact that the schedule will include every American League team next year. Fewer games against National League East opponents. It's one of those things we'll just kind of get used to, I suppose. And I could live without the whole thing. One thing that I don't want to live without are the Greg Commandments. Greg wrote a column in 2005, which is 17 years ago. And we've discussed 10 of the Greg Commandments, which are guidelines for Mets fans. We've discussed 10 of them so far, and we're going to discuss five more. And one of them is Timely. Conceive trades realistically. How about Aaron Heilman for Derek Lee? It makes perfect sense. Heilman's been great and the Cubs need bullpen help. Lee would be ideal between Beltran and Floyd. Hello? Hello? Good advice with the trades line coming up on August 2nd. But one thing that factors into trades now that maybe didn't factor in as much then are the economics. Sometimes a trade is not just a baseball trade. And when it is, we always hear, well, that was a baseball trade because of the value of the contract and the years of team control. But this idea, conceive trades realistically, is still good advice. I would like to think that Aaron Heilman's agent saw this and used it in an arbitration hearing. Look, the fans know Aaron Heilman is comparable to Derek Lee. He deserves a huge raise. You know what? In the summer of 2005, Aaron Heilman was an excellent relief pitcher. Nobody remembers that. Good thing I wrote it down. 
Well, you know, economics has always been a part of the trade equation. I mean, the reason we got Mike Piazza in the late 90s was because the Dodgers, by way of the Marlins, didn't want to pay him anymore. One of the reasons we got Bernard Gilkey a couple of years earlier was that he was headed for free agency and the Cardinals weren't going to pay him. So there's always a, a sense of that. It seems more pronounced now. Circa 2005, early in the blogging era, we were still living under the hegemony of sports talk radio. So when you see the phrase, hello, hello in there, that's the conceivable caller to WFAN or whatever station you like, conceiving inconceivable trades. Uh, you can conceive them all you want, but don't take them seriously. So wh whatever has happened as the uh, trading deadline approaches, and whatever will happen once we get there, you know, that grain of salt you have over on the kitchen table, bring a lot of them to wherever you're going to consume your trade news. You can dream, you can propose, but we don't have to take it seriously. Just, you know what, just wait for Billy Epler to do his thing. It'll be fine. Know your history. If you're under the age of 10, it's okay not to know the Mets have never had a no-hitter. Otherwise, bone up. Jack Lang, Leonard Coppett, Howard Blatt, and Dennis D'Agostino have each written essential Mets histories. You have your homework assignments. Still true, I'd add a certain book by my co-host to that list. Well, thank you for that. Uh, know your history is always a good idea. The authors mentioned there each wrote essential volumes on the Mets up to that point or up to a point in franchise history. Jack Lang's History of the Mets up to 1986. Leonard Coppitz was written up to 1969 and then updated through 73. Howard Blatt wrote a terrific book on the 40th anniversary. And Dennis D'Agostino, this is a gem. Before there were so many resources for this sort of thing, it was called This State in New York Mets History and came out in 1980 or 81, went through the 1980 season. And the kind of stuff that you couldn't just go on baseball reference to look up just a, a fantastic foundational book for people like me. And there are others, and obviously there are websites. And But the, the overall message here is you're watching the Mets. Maybe after 60 years, it's tough to know all of the high points and low points, but you should have a working knowledge. I'm going to assume our audience knows about 1969 and 1986, and for that matter, 1962. Always be looking to fill in some blanks, I guess is what I'm saying. If you don't know who a certain catcher was from the 70s, don't be shocked by the name John Stearns. Look up who John Stearns was. Ask your friends at National League Town to tell you some John Stern stories. Uh, the same could be said of Rico Bronia in the 90s or Angel Pagan in the early 2010s. Uh, it's so much fun to be a Mets fan because of all the things that have happened. The good things and, yeah, the bad things. Not that they were fun, but it's fun knowing that they're not going on any longer. So you have things to compare, things to contrast. Just enjoy it. It's a 60-year buffet and it gets larger all the time and there's no limit you can keep going back up to the buffet pile your plate full of mets facts mets minutia mets trivia mets memories and build on that and the stuff you're watching today you can add that tomorrow another of greg's fan commandments and i'm reading directly from the column to whomever's sitting behind me tonight or any night don't ever let me overhear you ask your companion what are those numbers on the wall for? Unless you are under the age of 10, somebody's date, or from way out of town. Otherwise, 
prepare for the most boring lecture of your life on the twilight of Casey Stengel's managing career. 37's just the first number of many numbers to keep on file. Lucky for you, there's a place to learn the rest. Visit it often. I don't think that lecture would be boring, Greg. Well, you know, you're you're just an enlightened audience. Uh, first off, the place to learn the rest had a link to mbtn.net. Mets by the numbers, one of the great original websites devoted to Mets history. Uh, those numbers are now under the care of Ultimate Mets Database, another great seminal Met website. More to the point, Casey Stengel was number 37, Gil Hodges was number 14, Tom Seaver number 41, and since then we've added more numbers, surprisingly. 31 for Mike Piazza, 36 for Jerry Kuzman, 17 for Keith Hernandez, not to mention 42 for Jackie Robinson, the Bill Shea marker, the Ralph Kiner marker. That's just the entryway. I hope you come prepared when you go to Met games that uh, if you're a Mets fan, like I said, if you're just kind of there to have a good time, well, I hope you have a good time. But to me, having a good time is knowing who came before and their significance. Since this was written, not only was there a new ballpark built, there was a museum constructed within that ballpark. And there's a lot of plaques for a lot of Mets and Met figures who've been honored. I just think things like baseball are better when you have some background. And I hope you do know, but you know what? If you're at the game, for some reason you're listening to a podcast about the Mets, but you're going to a game and you find yourself just confused. Like, why is there a 17 up there? And I'm sitting behind you. I'm not going to lecture you, but I'll happily answer your question. I've become more mellow since 2005. It's hard to tell sometimes, but I have become more mellow and I want to help. So you want to ask me about the numbers? You want to ask me about the, the years that say wild card and division and hopefully world champions? We can talk. Bases loaded, ninth inning, maybe you hold off until we're walking back to the train. But know your history. Keep knowing your history. Keep absorbing those details and uh, go visit Mets by the numbers and Ultimate Mets database. Those are treasure troves. I understand your frustration when you overhear people around you. Recently, I went to Oriole Park at Camden Yards. And before you chastised me, the Mets had a West Coast game. So I wasn't doing anything in conflict with a Mets game. And there was a Guardians fan behind me who asked the Orioles fan next to her if Roberto Alomar ever played for the Orioles. And I turned to my friend Pete and the two of us just staring at each other because Roberto Alomar famously was a Oriole. He spit on the umpire, John Hirschbeck, while an Oriole. I didn't say anything, not my team. I didn't feel like it was my place, but I understand your frustration there. The interesting thing is when you see Roberto Alomar's plaque in Cooperstown, that's the first line. Spit on an umpire as an Oriole, multiple all-star at second base. People tell the stories that they need to tell. Yeah, it's surprising, but you know what? Life goes on, and things that we think of as knowledge that has been passed along sometimes is dropped. You know, like I said, I've mellowed a little bit, and also there's a little device that we all carry with us to ball games that we didn't have in 2005. So if you're super curious as to why is there a 31 hanging at the Mets ballpark, you could also look it up and, and leave me out of your conversation. But again, I'm happy to help. I don't think Roberto Alomar's plaque dwells too long on his tenure with the Mets. No, Roberto Alomar as a Met was kind of a downer. You know what? That was one of the most excited states I've ever woken up in. 
in the winter of 2001 heading into 2002. It was one of those trades that there was no rumor for. I wasn't conceiving it unrealistically because I had no idea that it could possibly happen and listening to WINS that morning. Well, the New York Mets have made a move. Like, we've got Roberto Alomar. So excited to have Roberto Alomar until Roberto Alomar started playing for the Mets. And thus, it is not a highlight of his Hall of Fame plaque. But I am surprised that in Baltimore, where he was one of the best players, or in Cleveland or Toronto or even San Diego, that there might be any forgetting about Roberto Alomar, who was a great player. Let, let me know if you heard this before. He was a great player until he came to the Mets. So we are off track here, but you know what? That's what we do as fans. Our tangents are our substance. Please, move along. This is good advice as we get to August and the pennant race. Believe in a place called hope. Whatever year it is, allow yourself to think it's 1973, if that's what it's going to take to get us where we need to be. Believe in a Place Called Hope was a reference to then Arkansas Governor Bill Clinton's acceptance speech at the 1992 Democratic National Convention, where he was from Hope, Arkansas, and said, I still believe in a place called Hope. They had had a movie introducing him to show where he was from. At the point that I wrote that, that was a 13-year-old reference, and now it's a 30-year-old reference. So I am as topical as I ever was, even more so. But the actual point here is hope, having hope as a Mets fan. When I wrote this in 2005, the Mets were sort of in this holding pattern as a contender, trying to win the wild card, trying to overcome a few years of dismal failure, and they wouldn't get there in 2005. But it was fun to believe they might, and it wasn't inconceivable because they they hung close and they had several talented players. But just to have given up in the middle of that season would have been a Shonda. So you got to have hope. I think we've seen it since then. 2016, it was easy to give up when the Mets were kind of pumpering around and they caught fire in August and September. And they did win the wild card, and it was a lot like 1973. As recently as 2019, the Mets were off to a dismal start, and they somehow got it together and gave us a playoff race that we did not see coming deep into September. They were never quite there, but we had hope. It made it more fun. So don't give up until you have to. When you're mathematically eliminated, you can give up. When it's the first day of winter, you can give up. Till then, enjoy the ride. And speaking of rides, one more. Go on the road. At least once in your life, take a vacation in San Francisco to see the Mets. Or a quick trip to Philadelphia to see the Mets. Anywhere will suffice. Be the visiting fan for a day. It's a very different feeling. I know that feeling, being in Washington, going to Nationals Park, rooting for the Mets. This is good advice. Just make sure you're sitting on the Mets side of the field. I guess it depends on how crowded where you're visiting is. You could be in a stadium where they're not drawing anyway, so you're not going to run into too much flack. Listen, you want to send me on the road? If any of our, our listeners want to start a GoFundMe to send me on, on my way to let you know how things are looking across the baseball map, be my guest. But for now, I'll just say that, yeah, it's fun. It's fun to see the Mets in their gray road uniforms. Yes, for you, Jeff, it's more fun to see them in their white pinstripes because you're a little far from home. Not spiritually, but geographically. But it's interesting, especially when you haven't done it before, when you've spent your 
childhood as I did watching the Mets go on the road to Cincinnati or Pittsburgh or Chicago, all those places. And suddenly they're there and you're there and they're your cause. And you don't stop because you're on somebody else's turf. In those days, artificial turf, now natural grass. When it comes to ballparks, I have to be honest not, not that I've been dishonest at this point, but you know, since the uh, the point of this commandment was go see the Mets, I sort of enjoy the lack of pressure of seeing a different ballpark without the Mets in it, where I can just enjoy the ballpark. A million years ago, thanks to interleague play, I saw the Mets play at Tiger Stadium, the only time I've been to Tiger Stadium. And I was completely taken by Tiger Stadium, but the Mets were getting pounded 14 to nothing that night. And I couldn't fully enjoy the majesty of this ballpark that had been around since early in the 20th century that only had a couple of years left because I had to think about the standings. While the Mets being there sort of drew me there, I would think I would have been just as well off seeing the Tigers play some random American League team. But that's a whole other issue. If you can, if it's convenient for you, if it's affordable, once in your life, like I said, if you, if you can swing it, go see the Mets somewhere. Be the, be the fans who support the Mets that the Mets are happy to see you. Be that weirdo who hangs around the hotel lobby and asks uh, Pete Alonzo for a selfie or something like that. Don't be too weird about it. You don't want to be chased by security. You don't want to take his head out of the game. But take that Met ethic with you. And obviously, you know, you have to tip your cap to an organization that didn't exist in 2005, the Seven Line Army, who organizes these trips all the time. They've been to almost every ballpark in the National League, if they haven't been to all of them by now. A lot of ballparks in the American League, thanks to the schedule. And it brings people who live in other parts of the country who are Mets fans into contact with Mets fans they never get to see. It opens up another part of the country to Mets fans who are willing to make the trip from the New York area. So it's, it's a great thing that they do. And it's a great thing if you just do it on your own. It's also a great thing to stay home and turn on the TV or listen to the radio any way you can consume the Mets. According to the author of The Greg Commandments, a 17-year-old document of which we are blowing dust off today, as long as you're watching the Mets, you are observing The Greg Commandments. And there are more Greg Commandments. We'll keep revisiting them over the course of the year. Now, Greg, you mentioned the seven line, and I wanted to ask you this question. This past week, I went to Wolf Trap, which is a concert venue in Virginia. So a fine show with Bare Naked Ladies, Gin Blossoms, and Toad the Wet Sprocket. In my row was a guy wearing a seven-line shirt. I was thrilled. I went over, I fist-bumped him, and I said, LFGM. And he goes, what? And I go, LFGM. And he goes, I don't know what that means. How does a guy wearing a seven-line shirt not know what LFGM means? Well, the answer is obvious because you went to see Bare Naked Ladies and Toad the Wet Sprocket and the Gin Blossoms. So much like this episode, you traveled through time <laughs> to the 1990s and LFGM did not exist as a greeting. So we can't take it out on this citizen of the late 1990s enjoying some contemporary music for not knowing that we say LFGM sometimes here in the 2020s. What he was doing with a seven line shirt Unless you're talking about his shirt from the Metropolitan Transit Authority, perhaps he was just an employee of MTA off on a visit to Virginia for some reason. But to answer the question in the spirit it was asked, that is surprising that you would drape yourself in something as Mets-oriented as a seven-line shirt and not dig LFGM 
not even get the LGM part because you know you got three quarters of the answer there. This is an open book exam. You've got the Let's, the Go, the Mets. You've passed already if 65 is still considered a passing grade. So you might as well take a shot at figuring out what the F means, my man. But hey, sometimes a shirt is just a shirt. And I've had that experience in my life where I've gone up to people and I think I've got simpatico with them because they're wearing something that invites me over to start talking to them. And they're like, I don't know, it's just a shirt. Somebody gave it to me. So I, I, I hope you informed him. I did. He stared at me and it was very, very frustrating. Perhaps he had some adult beverages in his souvenir cup. And how long has it been since that happened? In it's my, been one, one week. <laughs> one week since you looked at him and he looked back at you and said, I think you're crazy. And that'll do it for this episode of National League Town. Again, we recorded this during the All-Star break. So anything that's happened since today's recording, we don't know it yet, but we may believe it did. And you know what, Greg? We could have edited this podcast with all the permutations of the Yankees series and sounded smarter than we did. But nobody was going to believe that we sound smarter than we do. This is a recreation in advance. This is like old-time baseball. All we uh, forgot to do, and I, I wish I had uh, something approximating a bat or two near me so I could go... <laughs> um, my impression of a bat uh, hitting a ball and the crowd going wild. Uh, if anything we've said uh, no longer makes sense, I mean, even more than usual, you know what? You can write to the producers for a refund for whatever this is costing you to listen. Oh, wait, it's free. Get off our backs. And if you do like the show, please make sure to rate our show on Apple and Spotify. This is National Rate it high, by the way. Yeah, that's right. If you like it, rate it with as many stars as you can find. People are always saying, rate our show, five stars, six stars, however many stars you can spare. We appreciate it. Tell the guy who's wearing the LFGM shirt or the Seven Line shirt, hey, you know what y'all should be doing? And I said, y'all, for some reason, probably because you're in Virginia, you should be listening to National League Town. You should leave this concert right now. This concert is taking place in 1998, for God's sake. I mean, come on, the gin blossoms? Give me a break. Get in the car. Do whatever it is you do in the car to listen to a podcast because my car is from the 1990s, so I have no idea. But listen to this show is what you should be saying to people. Rate this show highly is what you should be doing. And don't ask for a refund. Get off our backs. Did I already say that? You know what? The Greg Commandments can be pretty bossy, so I apologize. Anywhere Greg and I go, we hope you'll follow us down to National League Town. We'll be back next week to talk about the trade deadline. Until then, I'm Jeff Heisen. I still seem to be Greg Prince. And as always, let's go Mets. Copyright 2022 music provided by the Royal Arctic Institute. Check them out on Bandcamp.